Welcome to this episode of Temple Beth Am's Are You Coming Back? Personal, candid conversations with Jewish thought leaders across the country on the future of Jewish practice. Hosted by Rabbi Cantor Hilary Chorney. When I began this project of Are You Coming Back? podcast conversations with Jewish thought leaders across the country, I started it because I wasn't sure that I was ready yet to ask my own congregants or that they were ready to answer the question, are you coming back? But I felt that there was somebody in our community who is both a Jewish thought leader and also a congregant who I miss dearly. And he said, yes. So here's my conversation, a really wonderful one that I had with Sal Litvak, who some of you might know as the accidental Talmudist. We had a wide ranging conversation. We talked golf. We talked guns. We talked about tiny and big communities, both in this time and the slow return, because it's not just one wave of coming back to community. It's all kinds of questions built into the one. Are you coming back? Stay tuned. Well, I'm really excited to start this conversation today with a congregant and a friend, with someone you might know by other titles and parts of his identity. This is Saul Litvak, and he's a writer, a director, and the accidental Talmudist. I hope we'll get into pieces of each of those things today, Sal. But first and foremost, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's great to be with you, Rabbi Charney. Uh, it's great to be with you. And to put it that way, it reminds me how long it's been since we've actually been together, you know, in yeah. in a room and to see each other's faces. Uh, that wasn't that wasn't the case, you know, a year ago, two, three, four years ago. Now we saw each other a lot, um, which is one of the reasons that I thought of you. And it's kind of where I want to start our conversation to go back to where we were before, maybe take me Take me back a year. Where were you in 2019, like this time that year, vis-a-vis synagogue, shul, maybe talking about a Shabbat morning or a holiday, you, your family? uh, What was life like before all this started for you and Jewish community? Uh, So it's funny. I mean, we've definitely been on a journey where we're Bali Teshuva. uh, You know, so as adults, we reconnected with Judaism. Um, and uh, and when we first reconnected, it was with a very unusual reform synagogue that's now in Venice, Mordecai Finley Shul, and we were there for many years. Uh, then our kids, it was time for them to go to school, and they went to Pressman Academy, uh, and we kind of naturally migrated uh, to, to Temple Beth Am, uh, not only to follow our kids, but you know we we, we were more observant than everyone else at the previous shul. Uh, and so then we just had a wonderful experience uh, at Betham, the kids growing up in the community and through the school. I eventually became a board member uh, at the shul. But our own family Jewish journey sort of kept advancing also. Uh, and we also, during that period, moved to Hancock Park uh, here, this neighborhood in L.A., which is a, a pretty unusual, diverse uh, neighborhood in the sense that this is very waspy component, very Korean component, and and very from <laughs> very orthodox uh, Jewish community here, with lots of of little shoals and shtibels. Um And when we first moved here, we were still driving uh, on Shabbos, but uh, over time we stopped. 
we, we kept going to Beth Am because we love the community and the people, the leadership so much. But it's a two and a half mile walk for us each way. And at a certain point, it's like, why are we going so far? <laughs> you know, we literally have shills on our block here. Um, so I guess where we were in, uh, in, in December 2019, you know, I typically on Friday nights, uh, I'm in a minion uh, at Yakusel Kalmanson's house. Who's a, He's a Chabad guy, but his Kahila is all these kind of modern yeshivish Orthodox guys, but who love to sing Karl Bach. So it's a very... Uh, loud <laughs> Ruach-filled Karlbach minion in a living room that we had about 50 guys uh, every Friday. That was our regular thing. And, and Saturday morning, uh, I'm by this place, Mayan Yisrael, which is, uh, which is called the Baal Shem Tov Shul, uh, very Hasidish uh, and upbeat, a lot, quite a bit of Karlbach davening in that as well. And Rabbi Wolf, who's just like a big personality uh, and super positive. Uh, you know, Saturday afternoons, I'd usually get to, to Yavna, another show, kind of another different community. So, so always been a traveler in, in these different Jewish communities and, you know, lunches and dinners and, and, and getting to know everybody. And, you know, it, it, sort of when you're outside the Orthodox world, you're just like, well, there's Orthodox, but when you're in the Orthodox world, you see it's, it, there's so many different kinds uh, of religious Jews, and just a lot of them are represented here in this neighborhood. And, and for daily davening, I go to a real stark uh, Hasidic place that's literally a, a block away, Rabbi Rubin, and sometimes by the, the Hasidic Kalel in the nights. You know, then came COVID, and, 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 the, and the big moment that was a division between pre-COVID and post-COVID was APAC, which you were there, right? Remember, were you I, there this I year? wasn't there this year. I wasn't part of the delegation, okay. but Rabbi, Rabbi Kligfeld was. As it was a big Betham delegation. A, it was an enormous Betham delegation, yeah. yeah. And we had a great time and, and um, you know, it's just such a good experience. And, and we were all aware of this plague thing, but it was unclear whether it was going to be a big deal or not. And in retrospect, it was the, the last hurrah. <laughs> yeah. I remember coming back and then at my our Friday night minion, uh, you know, I'm the Gabbai there. And I said to the guys, uh, well, just so everybody knows, I was at APAC and apparently there's been a few cases of this, uh, this COVID thing. So maybe you don't want to give me a hug like you normally do. We'll just give the elbow. And then we didn't meet again for six months. Like it was just one meeting and then everything shut down. It was two weeks to flatten the curve that, that, that never ended. Uh, and really, I didn't dive in with a minion again until Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur when we started up uh, this same Friday night group, but outside. So now we have a backyard minion and I do that Friday nights. Uh, and we, we, we got together in the backyard for Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. Uh, but my daily davening is it's here. It's my office. You know, there's, there's, there's a saying in the Talmud that uh, since the temple fell, the, the holy presence, you know, the divine presence always only rests in the four cubits where a person is studying the law. Uh, and, and this is where I learn and, and teach Torah right from this desk. I, I, I teach a daf yomi, a, a daily Talmud study class uh, from this location. And this is also where I daven in the mornings. Uh, one thing that's been nice about COVID is that my son and I always dive in together 
uh, at Mincha and Mar, the afternoon and evening service. And I kind of just like that was something that he just kind of did at school. It shall have it for the afternoon service. And, you know, I, sometimes I bring him with me when I went to evening services. But once COVID came, uh, you know, that's been a very regular thing in our lives uh, is praying together every evening. And that's that's been one of those sweet little, um, you know, silver linings. Uh, and another one for me was when I started you know, just praying alone every morning one thing I added consciously when, when, when COVID started was a Cadus Yitzhak. So the, the binding of Isaac, which is in the prayer book, but it's so easy to overlook when you're doing, you know, fast morning prayers in a hurry with everybody. Uh, but I've just made a point and I, I have read it every day since COVID began, you know, so eight, nine months now. And it's an amazing passage that, you know, it's not, I don't know, 15, 16 sentences. Uh, but like every time I read it, I see something new in there that's emotional. Um, that's every day for nine months. It's an incredible piece of Torah. What was it like coming back to that Parsha, both at Rosh Hashanah and then last week, basically, right? Just just about a week ago, we were back at the Parsha. Did did it feel like a rediscovery, like you'd shifted your perspective on it? Yes. Yes, definitely. Um, and then even today, I read it and, and like I never noticed before how many times it says Yitzhak Bini, right? Yitzhak, my son. It never just says, you know, something to Yitzhak. It says to Yitzhak, my son, and to Yitzhak, his son, and to your son. I mean, the word son. Hmm. Uh, I don't know how many times, eight, nine times, uh, just really bringing home, you know, this relationship. But, but then there's so many questions. I mean, you know, now I know that you are a God-fearing man, says God. But it, it's so different, you know, when you're in conversation with God already and he asks you to do this incredibly difficult thing. Uh, but, you know, if he communicated that message to somebody who wasn't already in conversation with him obviously be a different there's so many questions but anyway I, yes when i came to it in the in the actual annual reading it was like oh wow he's my good friend you know <laughs> now, now i know you in a different way <laughs> you're pal yitzhak um yeah uh you know there are a lot of there are a lot of things you could have added to daily davening even in your own personal davening just to press on the point for a minute longer, you know, part of, part of your literacy with all of Jewish text, including liturgy, means that you could have added something, anything. Was this just an accident, or is there something about that story that continues to particularly speak to you, such that when you turn it and turn it, it just is it has something enlightening about COVID itself or this era for you or Judaism? I'm not sure why I chose to take it on that first time that I found myself, you know, davening at home instead of with the minion. Um, but over time, it, it's definitely made it, it does connect to COVID. I, 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 it, there's the life and death stakes that are present yeah. there, you know, for sure. Um, and, and and this sense of it's very small, you know, it, it, it's just a father and son alone in the wilderness. There's not an audience. You know, the, even the youths who came with them were left at the base of the mountain and far behind. And and yet it had this, you know, timeless impact, uh, you know, that just kept reverberating through the ages. Uh, 
Uh, and, and there are so many moments, I think, in our lives uh, that we can't imagine. We, we have no idea the impact that they'll, the impact that they'll have. I, I, I'm not sure. Did you say? Sorry. It, it, um, I, I had a, a break in my sound for a second. So I was okay. talk, but not, not hearing you, but I can edit out the, the blip. Um, but uh, sorry, finish the last sentence you were just saying. Uh, I mean, there's no question that somebody else's passing remark changed my life. Uh, and, and, you know, you, you said at the top of, of the show that I'm a writer director, I work in, in film, but I'm also the accidental Talmudist, uh, which is not something I ever could have imagined. Uh, but to just quickly share that story, uh, you know, as I became connected to Judaism, uh, and, I, and I took classes at various places, up at the University of Judaism and Schulz, you know, really from all different walks of Judaism, I was taking classes. But one thing that all the rabbis had in common is they would mention the Talmud. Sooner or later, they'd mention the Talmud and usually sooner. So I got that it was some vast repository of wisdom, but I really didn't know what it was. I, I, I didn't have that yeshiva education. Um, when I would go to the mitzvah store, Rabbi Kraft store, and I would see these long shelves of the Talmud for people who are old enough to remember the Encyclopedia Britannica. So all of the knowledge of humanity fit in 23 burgundy volumes. Uh, and the knowledge of the Jews is 73 <laughs> burgundy volumes. So vast, you know, but inaccessible to somebody who doesn't really know what it is or where to begin. And I even had a feeling that I'm not allowed. You know, I'd heard Kabbalah, you have to be 40. I was under 40 at the time. And maybe, you know, you have to have qualifications to read the Talmud, at least be a rabbi or something. So every time I was in that store and thought about checking out the Talmud, I'd go through the same thought process and say, I guess it's not for me and walk away. Repeat a dozen times. And then once, it was 2005, I was in that store. I was looking at those books. I started to walk away and something stopped me. And I said, you know, this is ridiculous. They're just books. I was an English major. I went to Harvard. My wife and I are bibliophiles. Our house is literally bursting with books. Why am I backing down from some Jewish book? There, there must be a book one of the Talmud. I'll just get that, see what it's like. So I picked up the nearest one, table of contents. Okay, book one of the Talmud is called Brachis. Brachis. And I took it to the, the counter and the kid at the register, Zach Plotzker, uh, who I wasn't friends with. I just saw him now and then when I would go to buy an item there, a, a, a keepa or a book or a gift. And, uh, and Zach's passing remark was, oh, you're doing Dafyomi. And I said, what's Dafyomi? Now that surprised him. So his reaction was to go like this. And look at me over his glasses. And I thought, oh, man, Daf Yomi must be a code. If you don't know the code, you're not allowed to read the book. He's got to not sell me the book without embarrassing me because he's kind and a good Jew. And so this is so awkward. And how do I get out of here? Ugh. And he said, Daf Yomi is a program where people around the world are reading the entire Talmud one page a day, Daf Yomi, on the same schedule. Uh, and to do that, it takes seven and a half years. And today is day one. 
Now, it's an extraordinary coincidence. It would have been amazing if I bought, you know, book one of the Talmud on day five of a seven and a half year cycle. But it was literally day one, a clear sign from Hashem. And uh, and I took it as a sign. And I said, OK, I guess I'm doing Daf Yomi. Now, a lot of people start Daf Yomi. And they are rabbis with the big yeshiva background and the whole thing. And even they don't finish because it's such a big commitment Yeah. Uh, just to read the pages an hour a day, let alone learn it. And uh, but I felt like God put the book in my hands and I kept I stayed with it for the first three years. I was doing it alone because when I went to a sheer that they said it was in English, every other word was Hebrew or Aramaic from the teacher's mouth. I couldn't follow it. So it's just me and Rabbi Art Scroll, this wonderful elucidation uh, of the Talmud created by their huge staff. They invested millions of dollars into it. Uh, and three years later, I tried going to a class again. And again, it was very much yeshiva speak, every other word in Hebrew or Aramaic. But by then I had picked up the, the jargon and the logic. I could follow it. I could enjoy it. I could thrive in it. Uh, and so I stayed with it. And coming to 2012, uh, I thought, you know, when the cycle would end in the summer of 2012, I thought I should tell my story because maybe somebody else will be inspired to try this program of studying the Talmud. If, and, and, and if somebody like me could do it, anybody could do it. So uh, uh, so I called David Suisa, who's a big fan of our first film, When Do We Eat? Pa Passover comedy, very raucous and irreverent Passover comedy. Uh, told him this, took him to lunch at Pat's. He told him the story and said, if I wrote that up, would you publish it? And David said, that's a cover story for the Jewish Journal. But you should write a blog to sort of set up the cover story. More people will read it. More people will hear about what you've done. And more people might be inspired to try it. So I said, sure. So I named the blog Accidental Talmudist. And if you have a blog, it was a weekly blog at the Jewish Journal. But if you have a blog, you should have a Facebook page. And, uh, and it was the Facebook page that really took off because one day it's an article, the next day it's a video, then it's a meme, then a joke, then just a verse, then, you know, every day a little different. That suited my personality. Uh, and against all odds, just grew and grew and grew and grew. And now my wife and I do this together. Uh, we have over a million followers around the world. Nina writes incredible hero stories uh, every Thursday. We publish humor, history, holidays. Uh, but the anchor content that we do now, and this started in January of this year, uh, in the new cycle of Dafyomi that began 2020, uh, now I'm teaching it. Um, and to teach, and as you well know, it's one thing to learn something. It's another thing to learn it so you can teach it. Yeah. Um, and so now this has become, you know, it takes me 45 minutes to an hour to read the page in the morning, another 45 minutes to prepare to teach it, another 45 minutes to an hour to teach it. And then I have to like summarize what I taught that day. So it's searchable online. It's just been a massive commitment. That's every day, seven days a week. Uh, you know, we do it at noon on Fridays after Shabbos on Saturday nights and every other day at 6 PM Pacific. Uh, but you know, I have about 3000 people, uh, that, that, that watch these classes every day uh, on Facebook and YouTube. And, uh, and what we're really most excited about is there's a lot of people out there who don't have a wonderful Jewish community like we have in L.A. that don't have any Jews around them and that wouldn't be learning at all uh, if they hadn't stumbled into accidental Talmudists. There are so many great questions to ask about your story. 
But I'm going to try to connect a couple of things that you said together and and ask about something else related to being in this pandemic time, which is uh, accidental is your it's like your it's your keyword, it's your code word. And it sounds like adding to your morning davening is just as, you know, coincidental, if not as monumental in your life as walking up to a counter with Masachet Brachot on the first day of Dafyomi cycle. Um, and so I'm wondering, is there anything else that you just kind of, quote, started doing or whatever during this time that's become ritual, feature, important to you? It doesn't have to be so Jewish, but I'm curious if you've picked up habits and rituals or designed them during this time. Well, I'm I'm kind of a golf nut. <laughs> I love golf. And, uh, you know, what, two things that have been big during COVID out there in America is golf and guns. Uh, yeah. and, and golf, uh, you know, for a while there you couldn't play, but I, I, I just put a net and a mat. Uh, you know, this is my office. It's our garage. It's converted. Nina has an office right behind this wall here. And, uh, and so I walk from the house to the office, you know, many times, uh, every day. And because I have that mat in the net, (laughs) every time I walk by, I can hit a few shots. Uh, and, and to me, golf is somewhat spiritual. It, it, it really is, um, and what's interesting is there's so many skills that we have in this world and, things we take for granted, we don't even realize they're skills, like putting on your glasses without poking on your eye. It's something you're an expert at, but you don't realize. Most <laughs> days, expert sure. at that. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and then there's other things that we kind of struggle to get better at and we never feel like we're really confident. Hmm. Um, and in those things that we're always trying to get better at, we, we, we have blind spots. And we're sort of just, you know, there, there's parts that we know what we're doing and other parts that just kind of happen. And, and, and that's often where things go wrong uh, when when they do go wrong. It, it happens in that blind spot. Um, and, you know, it, it, it either takes good coaching to be, make, become aware of your blind spots or breaking it down. You know, just going back to basics, going one step at a time. And try and understand, okay, this I'm competent at, and what's the next step? And, oh, I'll, actually, I'm not so competent at that next step. And I can work on that. And, and, and skill building, uh, you know, it's, very, it's always been important to me. Uh, guns, actually, the reason I mentioned it, I was never a gun guy. But, you know, in the last few years, there's been a lot of scary things going on in the world, a lot of threats to the Jewish community. And I joined uh, a, a volunteer security force called Maganam, Shield of the Nation. And, you know, a, a large synagogue like Beth Am with a big membership can afford security guards. I mean, these days, okay, nobody's going to the building, you don't need the security guards, but in normal times. But small little shtivals, like we're talking about in my neighborhood, especially where, where we sing really loud, and you can hear us from a block away, even when we're inside davening in the living room, but there's no security there. there there's no no security guard. Uh, and God forbid, you know, bad guys should come looking for us like like happened at that Poway, Syn- Poway Synagogue uh, near San Diego or in Tree of Life near Pittsburgh, things like that. Uh, we don't want to be defenseless. You know, never again uh, is something that we believe in and we're doing something about. 
So I, I, I entered training a year and a half ago. Uh, and, uh, and it's actually amazing to me that people own guns in America who haven't gone through this training uh, because it's been very extensive. Uh, just a lot of training about safety, about situational awareness, marksmanship for sure, but also how to deal with situations under pressure. You know, and God forbid there's ever an emergency, there's going to be intense, intense pressure. And we actually study how the body, when you're, you know, when you're in an adrenaline rush, what you can expect to happen under those kinds of circumstances. Um, yeah, and actually this, so it's taken a year and a half, but this Friday, I'm actually going to be armed for the first time uh, when I go, you know, to Davin with our minion. I'm part of a, a licensed security force. It's not concealed carry. It's exposed carry. I'll have security patches on my shoulder. Uh, you know, there'll be a very visible presence. And it'll be weird walking through the neighborhood um, with a gun on my hip. And like I said, I'm not a gun guy. It's not like a natural thing for me at all. But I just felt like, well, you know, why not me? Somebody has to step up. Uh, and, I, and I've met just a wonderful, you know, bunch of guys who are involved in this and take it very seriously. And, and our, our rabbi, the, the guy who trains us is a rabbi, Yossi Elford, uh, who has just committed enormous personal resources to ensuring the safety of the Jewish people. Yeah, I remember commenting at the beginning of COVID really offhandedly. Remember, I guess it was, I guess I meant it as a joke. Remember when the biggest thing we had to worry about was somebody with bad intentions walking into our synagogue. Remember when that was the thing that we were talking about and we were worried about, and yeah. now we've got this whole global pandemic. But I have been reminded from time to time, particularly by members who are hosting Backyard Minyanim, and when we talked about how to resituate, relocate High Holy Day services this year, that parks, even though they might seem like an interesting option as the city recalibrated and even allowed for park-based davening to happen, for worship services to happen in these places where they wouldn't norm normatively have allowed them. Uh, I was reminded that that hasn't gone away in any sense. And it's interesting to, to hear you frame it the way that you do. And one of the things that interests me, I'd love to hear more about is that even though you're talking about returning um, and have returned and are returning this Friday in a totally different capacity to your minion, the minion looks and sounds different. I'm thinking about you describing this, this community being so loud that that would be a part of the fear, right? The davening is so intense yeah. that, you know, it's no joke. It really does draw attention. And now in COVID, davening publicly is just different. So talk to me about how that feels, what it's been like to adjust. What have you noticed in yourself and in other people in this shift in davening? I mean, th th there's so many things that are at play in this. You know, I I'm the Gabi, so I sent out the announcements, not only when we're going to start, but, and you must wear a mask, when in your seat, I, I, when, when walking in, uh, when you're in your seat, because we're sitting six feet apart, you can pull the mask down on to your chin. Uh, but you shouldn't pull it off. You should have it sort of there ready in case you stand. Some would say that since we are singing pretty loud, you know, you, you should have the mask on all the time. Um, uh, but like it, it, you just can't breathe <laughs> and sing at the same time. Uh, but you know, it's not what it was. We're definitely not back to normal by any stretch of the imagination. First of all, our numbers are way down from what they used to be. Um, and the older guys don't come 
You know, people who feel like they're physically vulnerable don't come. Uh, There's a lot of young people who, you know, they feel like they're invulnerable. Is that the right? Yeah. (laughs) Like like they're immortal, you know. Yeah. (laughs) They can't be hurt. Um, Yeah, the the double negative. And, you know, and and, and they just don't worry about it. It's hard to to sort of control those guys. Um, Everybody has to make their own choices. Um, I could easily, you know, rejoin a, a morning and evening minion too. I, I have chosen not to. Uh, and I don't even know that my views are consistent. I, I just feel like, well, I, I got to be with a group at least once a week. But if I go daily, and what can I say? I'd, I'd really rather not get COVID. And I think your odds are just much higher if you're, you know, constantly gathering with people even with social distancing and masks and everything. Uh, the Daily Mignanum, they are keeping the masks on the whole time. I mean, they're, 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 they're doing a good job of that. Uh, they don't need to sing loud. They're just there to, you know, fulfill their obligation and, and leave. And they're not gathering and they're not being all social and stuff uh, the way it used to be. I mean, I'm really looking forward to this vaccine coming and, you know, the community being a community in the way that it was a community before and without all these restrictions. Yeah, it it is amazing. I want to dig into that idea that you just that you just shared, which is it's transformative, both for you and the way that you describe you davening and davening with your son on a daily basis. And in the way that these millionaires, these these dedicated daily worshipers morning and evening that they're there. And that I, I'm just adding this layer as an assumption. I'm well, you're welcome to push back on it, but that they don't even mind so much. And you might not even mind so much the restrictions that are in place and those daily commitments, you know, and, not, and the things that you can't say when you're just davening privately and the things that they can't do, like linger and schmooze and eat herring or whatever they would have had, uh, because there is this other thing that they're doing or that you're doing, which is fulfilling this obligation and that is sometimes dayenu, like maybe even every day. Right. It's, an, it's enough. It's enough to be doing that. Um, and to be there for the people saying Kaddish. I mean, that's very important. Right, right. Yeah. Those commitments to self, you know, to, to coming out of that obligation to engaging with God daily, and then to being present for the people who are in need of a of a quorum to, to pray. And um I imagine there are a lot of people out there, including a lot of people who study with you, Sal, who don't have those um, feelings or maybe not yet. You know, it's a it's a feeling that you might get to and you might not that that commitment. So I think I think it might be hard. I think it might be tough to talk to people about being committed to Judaism at this time if they aren't already in that place. I wonder, like, what is it um, that you try to use to either yourself, like, you know, get yourself motivated every day, or as you teach your followers or students, um, what are the other sources of commitment in a time when being with Jewish community is just sometimes not exciting and sometimes not all that it used to be? Um, you, you, you said several things there. You, you, your questions are great. You really spark a lot of thoughts in me. Um, so I guess I want to I want to share three things. Let me just make a a note here so there's the family deal and okay all right so three things that have come up um that have been really interesting first of all uh, something that's come that is new because of COVID and that is beautiful 
that my cousin uh, who lives in Vancouver started a Friday night Zoom for the family. Hmm. And uh, so, you know, pre-Shabbos, uh, you know, we've had like, like, like 12 members of the family and, and there's a few in each location. So it's really like 20 people. Uh, just checking in and having a Zoom call right before Shabbos and, you know, they, like they're lighting candles uh, and making the motzi and, and the kiddush on the Zoom. We wait until after. Uh, um, but it's amazing. I mean, you know, we, we all live in far flung cities and, you know, just would talk now and then on the phone or get together for a family reunion every few years and, and, and spend this wonderful weekly thing. Now, once the clocks changed... <laughs> We had to drop out of it because Shabbos starts too early for us. Yeah. Uh, and we're the only ones, you know, that are Orthodox. Um, but they're keeping it going and we look forward to rejoining them in the spring. And that has been a beautiful family ritual mm -hmm. uh, that was there all through the summer and fall. And I, I think it'll just remain. That, that, that's going to be post-COVID as well. It's, it's been wonderful. The family loves it. And uh, and I challenged all the members of my family, you know, who, who are not like so religious or into it. But I said, you know, in the Talmud, it says that anytime people gather and Torah is not shared, it's a session of scoffers. Uh, so let's make sure some Torah is shared. And, you know, I always bring a little something, but I, I would love to hear from you guys. You know, just 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 pick one one verse, one word, one phrase that speaks to you. Somewhere in, in Jewish wisdom and Jewish tradition, maybe from the, the weekly Parsha, but it doesn't have to be from that. It'd be great to hear from you. And I, I said that. And then afterwards, you know, we got off the call and Nina said, you know, you, that was a little hardcore. Like, maybe you're being a little too demanding. Like, you know, this is not their thing. It's your thing. And no one, no one said anything when you said that. Maybe they feel like, you know, you're being a little too pushy with the religion, et cetera. And I thought, oh, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Nina's instincts are really good in that sense. But the next week, they all brought something. <laughs> they all brought something. It was amazing. You know, and they all brought a little Torah to share. And they found something that was inspiring to them. Some from the Torah. Uh, this aunt of mine brought something from Pirkei Avos. You know, uh, you're not required to finish the work, but neither are you free to desist from it. Rabbi Tarfan. I mean, it was it was wonderful. It was absolutely wonderful. People like to be challenged, you know, and uh, and so that was beautiful. Yeah. And uh, and then I've got a buddy that I've been learning with for a long time. I'm not going to mention his name, but he he was inspired by my story from 2005 to 2012. And in 2012, he started doing Dapiomi and he completed it in 2020. Shkoya. He did the whole thing. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, you know, very much from the reformed uh, synagogue guy. And uh, and then at a certain point, I said to him, you're rapping to fill in, right? And he says, no. And I'm like, you completed Dafyomi? And, and you don't rap to fill in? Like, you know how important well, this is. Like, you've studied all the mitzvahs now that you've been through the whole Talmud. And you're not doing this. And, and you know, like in this kind of, you know, friendly, joking way. But I kept bringing it up because we get together uh, and now it's been by Zoom. We used to just do it at Pico Cafe, but we've been studying uh, Pirkei Avos together for years. Um, like we do because we, we, we meet once a month and we just do one uh, one Mishnah from Avos. 
every time we get together. And I mean, we're going on 10 years of this. And, uh, uh, you know, but he wasn't doing to fill it. And I just kept bugging him and bugging him and bugging him. And this week, I got the picture from him. He went to Rabbi Kraft. He bought his tefillin. He's in. Uh, so, you know, like, we don't want to be one of these. We, we don't pressure people. But what we've always tried to do in our teaching is to, with the big arms, the big embrace, and to show how much we get out of it uh, and how much it means to us. And, and so you, sh- you might want to try it because it could bring so much joy and meaning into your life. Yeah, um, and... I- I I want to say that I I th- the least that I could say about this is that there's no less fulfillment in taking on something like finding a piece of Torah every week or wrapping tefillin every day than in learning to bake sourdough, which is something that's happening more regularly in our house because that other stuff was already happening in our, in our double rabbi yeah. house. But there, this is a time in which. I think we're all both way too done and bored with our routines and also deeply seeking of new routines. So what you touched on is this desire that people have and a profound treasure trove of offerings that Judaism has, which is here's something you could do every day. You could, or every week you could study, you could ritualize uh, with tefillin and and all that. Um, So, you found all these ways to fill your days and weeks now, but life is different and feels different, both in your private and the the public and communal spaces. What are you, what are you itching to get back to? What's uh, what what are those things, or what's that thing that you just can't wait? You know, however many days we have to wait after that vaccine, day one after that, what's coming back for Sal? Uh. Well, one thing is, oh, listen, it's not that like it's such a big source of joy to look forward to it, but it's something I really want to do is, is to go visit my mom. I mean, she, she has advanced dementia. Uh, you know, I, I was making sure to, to get there, you know, once a month, once every other month. My, my brother and I were doing that. Uh, she lives in a memory care facility in Florida. And my father was visiting her every day, literally every day, and spending you know at least an hour or two with her every day, holding her hand. You know, she she has been quite nonverbal for a long time, but you know, you could tell that it means a lot to her that he was there. And then you know, from one day to the next, he couldn't go anymore, and no one could explain to her why she can't. Like you know, as far as we know, she can't understand that kind of stuff. So it's terrible that. Yeah it's like she just suddenly was having regular visitors and then she wasn't and wouldn't understand why. And then, you know, she's definitely been deteriorating her, you know, her, her cognitive ability and her, and her physicality as well. And, um, you know, I, I, at this point I should probably go, I, I think the traveling has become normalized enough. I, I, I kind of dread flying across the country with a mask and a shield and, you know, you can't go to the bathroom, the whole thing. I, I have not traveled at all throughout this whole period. Um, so I am looking forward to, to making that visit. And, and then my brother and our cousins and I have a weekly, I mean, a, an annual golf tournament, the family golf tournament that moves around the country one place or another. And we love getting together. We all live in different cities. It was canceled in 2020, of course. Uh, so I'm excited to you know, get back together with them. I'm excited to travel and to, 
you know, do the family gathering that, that goes along with that. I guess my, my second to last question, because you know what my last question is, which I we've danced around, but the last question will be the ultimate title question. But this is my, my second to last question for you. Um, what do you think will never be the same again after this, either for you or maybe for the LA Jewish community or the, the internet Jewish community? And what's interesting about that? Either for better or for worse? It's funny. When you say to me, what's not going to be the same again, it doesn't make me think about what's going to change in the Jewish community. It makes me think what's just going to change in the culture. Uh, and I, I think that, you know, working from home is, mm. you know, it, it's not going to be for everybody all the time, the way in many cases it has been, but it's going to become a much more routine part of the world. Um, I mean, we have an assistant who was coming in every day before. Now he's doing most of his work from home. You know what? It's great. It's great for him. It's great for us. Um, there's a lot of things that really you don't need to be in the, in the same space for. Uh, I think there's just going to be a lot of offices that are going to change to coming in from now and then. So you have that face face to face time, but a lot is going to be done from home and why not? And that's going to enable people to live in more fun, far flung places and you know less density in the cities. And, and I think there's going to be a lot of uh, lifestyle change based on geography uh, and workplace. Yeah. But I think that once things get back to normal, it's not going to be that big a change for, for Yiddishkeit and, and the Jewish community. Uh, we're, we're so, you know, what we do is eternal and, and it's been around for so long. And you know what? We've seen plagues come and go. We have. We haven't seen it in the modern technological age. Um, but I mean, I think that I think that davening and community and getting together uh, I think it's going to go back largely the way that it was. Um, you know, learning online is, is certainly a big deal. Uh, it's a big deal for me. I mean, I you know, yeah. we, we started that Dathyomi Shir before the plague came. Um, and, and so in some ways we were sort of ideally positioned mm. for this time. But... Uh, but that was important before the plague. It's going to be important after the plague. It's going to be important for people. I mean, especially as the geography changes, right? Then the online learning is important too. But I will say, even as somebody who teaches online every day, there's a certain amount of Zoom week. Yeah. <laughs> tired of it. <laughs> they yeah. want to be in person and learning together and have that, you know, interrupting each other and finishing each other's sentences in a way that these microphones and the duplexing doesn't really allow. And, you know, I look at you, that means I'm not looking at the camera, right? Yeah. Side by side screens here for Zoom, right? But now I'm looking at you, but I'm just looking at a little green light. So if I look at you, my eyes are not looking at you, that kind of stuff. Our We're poor brains. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I deeply appreciate that you see the landscape as something that is enduring. And I think that it might not be until we see the secondary and tertiary effects of this when we see the reshaping of communities geographically, like you say, and all that, that we'll understand exactly what's shifted for the Jewish community. Um, because what we do is, is pretty eternal. Um, so I think I know the answer to this. But when all this is over, are you? Are you coming back? <laughs> Are you coming back? 
to shul life and communal life oh and yeah everything as you know it <laughs> absolutely absolutely um yeah i mean i i really look forward to that um one other little thing I wanted to say before, when you're talking about how uh, you know how to communicate to people, way, you know ways to connect with Judaism, with Hashem, uh, with things that are enduring. One thing I, I, I do like to share, and I think it's very apropos, especially is you know COVID in some senses. I think we're over the hump. We're not done. Gosh, no, God knows we're not done. Uh, but at least we could see light at the end of the tunnel and things will get back to normal. But this is still a period where even the, you know, the big famous atheist, Sam Harris, has said, if you don't come out of COVID, having learned something new, you know, acquired some habit or skill or, or knowledge that you didn't have before, you really wasted a big opportunity, you know. So there's, there's just many opportunities that are available now. One that I, I can't recommend enough to everybody uh, is is to have that you know kind of Rebbe Nachman his photo to, to have some time with you and God, right? And and, and where you with your lips <laughs> speak to God. Uh, and very often you know people say eh, it's awkward for me. I'm not really used to that. And and they get the advice. Well then just say, hey God, you know they told me it was a good idea to talk to you. I don't really know if you're listening. If you're here, this is awkward for me. And if you just say that. <laughs> You'll actually already be in conversation and then you'd be surprised what flows from that. that. That advice has been, you know, heard and received, I think, many times. But what I like to add to it is, you know, we're all very, everyone who's had any kind of Jewish life is aware of the Shema uh, and that we say, hero is the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. But then, we, you know, and then we say, and blessed be his name forever. But then the very first command that comes out of that, and it's the, like the most fundamental prayer that we have, is, and you shall love the Lord your God. And we just race through those words like whatever. You know, we just, we just recite them. We just say them. Um, but, you know, you're commanded to love your children. It's kind of a natural thing to do anyway. But, you know, society expects that you love your children. And society expects that you'll love your wife, your spouse, uh, that you'll love your parents. It's, that actually is a commandment. Um, well, no, you're not commanded to love your parents. You're commanded to honor them <laughs> and to revere them. But my point is, is that with all these relationships in our lives where we love people and, and we understand the value of having a loving relationship with the primary way that we express and manifest that love is to say, I love you. Right. I mean, you say that to your kids all the time. You say that to your spouse all the time. You say it to your parents and other relatives all the time. It's no problem. No one's no one's afraid to say I love you to people that they're in those close relationships with. But how often do people say to their creator who gave them life and sustains them every day? I love you. Very few do that. It's so easy to do. You know, so so when you're going to be thankful that you have food on your table, you have clothes on your back, that you have a job, that you're surviving this plague, that, you know, whatever your blessings are. And very, people very often say Baruch Hashem or thank you, God, or, you know, but add, I love you. And it's an amazing thing that happens when you say I love you to God. And maybe if you've never done it before, it, start, it feels awkward at first, but you know, just, just turn it into a thing. Be challenged by Sal because you heard this podcast. Oh, I'll give it a try. What the heck? And say, I love you to God. I love you, God. I, lo I love you. 
I love you. Thank you so much. You've done so much for me. I love you. God gets so much more real to you and becomes such a bigger presence in your life. And it becomes so much more of a two-way relationship. I mean, God is a strong, silent type. Doesn't, uh, <laughs> doesn't talk too often. Doesn't say, I love you back in words. But God is speaking to us constantly in the language of events. And saying I love you to God allows you to tune into the language of events and the blessings that are showered on you in your life. And I just can't recommend that enough. And if you got nothing more out of COVID than to start saying I love you to God and to see what happens once you start doing that, you'll be amazed. Thank you for teaching us about love and Torah and being in relationship. And I would say to take one step further that I think that during this time, learning to express our love and appreciation for people, particularly in those times when it feels two dimensional like this, Mm -hmm. uh, that that's a practice that we can be in every, every time we encounter someone who is in the image of God. And that's just Mm -hmm. uh, building up those muscles and the strength to say, I love you, God, too, every day. I really appreciate that perspective. I can't wait to see more out of you. I'm excited about this new movie you're working on and to hear more about it sometime. I'm excited for this Daf Yomi class and how many years it has to continue to build in momentum. Uh, And I'm excited for you for the new discoveries, both that you've made for yourself and the investment that you've made to help other people discover what they are capable of doing regularly. Uh, that is a real, that's a real moraderech. That's a real way of, of being a, a trail guide for people, Sal. And, and you have a, you have the ability to push lovingly <laughs> in that way. And that that's Torah. Thank you. Thank you. And let me just add that I appreciate your teaching so much, Rabbi Chorney, and your manner. Uh, you, you are so open and kind and patient um, and you know, davening with you and davening in your space and in the prayer that you're leading, you know, there's, there's a warmth to it uh, and, a, and a receptiveness that you create uh, that I think really allows people to, you know, to tune into that spiritual wavelength. Uh, and it's a gift. And, uh, and you should be blessed to, to keep sharing your Torah with the community to 120 and beyond. Thanks, Sal. And my prayer is that we have the excuse and the opportunity to to do that again together on happy occasions. Be Miravia oh, Menu soon, soon, soon. <laughs> soon, 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 soon. Right? That can't come. I love you. I love you, God, and I love you. People working on a vaccine every day. Um, <laughs> thank you, Sal. Thanks for this conversation, and I look forward to connecting again soon. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Are You Coming Back? Do you have someone you'd like to recommend for a conversation like this one? Someone who might have a fascinating personal perspective on returning to Jewish rhythms beyond the pandemic? Reach out to us at hchorney at tbala.org.